Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. All right, well, uh, first sermon of February 2020, and uh, I would just like to go on record saying uh, that I'm pretty sure that somehow all of you have deceived me. Um, See, I remember that when my wife and I, uh, when we came here in January of 2019, uh, and we came a couple times in December of 2018, Every time we made the drive from Hanford to Porterville, we were blown away by the landscape that we saw and and how beautiful everything was coming into the city. And I mean, you guys are pressed right up against these mountains, and, uh, and, and it seemed like there was never fog. The skies were always somehow miraculously clear, and, uh, and I mean, the mountains, it seemed like they were always snow-capped. And so uh, my wife and I, you know, we're, we're driving into this. We're seeing all these green, luscious fields everywhere. And we're like, man, we want to invite people from Hanford and Lamore to come to Porterville just because this place is gorgeous. And we were blown away. And, you know, then summer rolls around and, uh, and the snow melts and the air gets a little bit dirtier. All the fields start to turn from green to yellow. And, uh, but no worries because winter's coming back. And let me just say, we've made it through, through January, and I've barely seen the mountains. Uh, there's so much fog. The grass hasn't gotten green again. I don't even know if there's snow because I can't see the mountains through the fog and the smog and everything else. And so I don't know what you guys pulled to get me here, uh, but I just want you to know that I'm on to you, okay? And I'm, I'm going to get this figured out. Uh, but aside from me uh, deceive, or aside from you deceiving me with the fake landscaping and all of that, uh, we're moving on through our series that we've been in for the past few weeks called Breakthrough. And, uh, and what we're talking about is the breakthrough that the early church saw in the book of Acts. And so after Jesus was crucified on the cross, he was buried, he rose again three days later, he commissioned his church, and we get to see what happened in the book of Acts. Uh, After Jesus has left, the small group of followers that he had, uh, they launched into their communities and into the world, and, and we begin to see Christianity growing at this unprecedented rate. And, uh, and, but of course, we know that it didn't grow without its problems. Things happened. There were, there were things that came up that were difficult uh, for the Christians to, to deal with and, and other the turmoil inside of the church. And, uh, and I think that we all know that growing pains are just a part of the way that life works, right? Okay, I'm 6'2", so I, I realize that growing pains are a part of life, but hopefully you guys realize that too. You're welcome to communicate with me as I do this. But, uh, and, and so we realize that, but, but before we really dive into our text, we're going to be camping out mostly in Acts chapter 5 this morning. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to finish up a little bit of chapter 4. Uh, there's a little portion that we didn't hit on last week. And so I want to go over that because if you've been here for the past few weeks, you'll see that something about it is a little bit familiar. And, uh, and, and, and it's important for us to catch this because realize that in, when they were writing the Bible, uh, bold, italics, underline, all that kind of stuff, that wasn't an option. So what did they do? They just said it over and over and over again until we got it. So Acts chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 32. 
It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had, here it is, everything in common. And with a great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levi, a native of Cyprus, uh, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So uh, there's a lot of stuff happening here. I threw some underlines in there so you could catch some of them. Uh, But it's really important that we understand what's going on right here in this little passage before we jump into chapter 5 Otherwise, chapter 5 just seems like a wild story that doesn't make any sense, and it confuses us about who God is and how he works and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we have to see these things first. So the first thing we underline, they had all things in common. And like I said, if you've been here for the past few weeks, you've heard that phrase. Uh, We spent a whole Sunday going over what it meant for these people to have all things in common. And, And what's happened is it's shifting in the church from them just having a perception that we're all made in the image of God. We're all human beings who are on this mission together and working together to bring in the kingdom of God. And it's shifted to a point where they're now acting as if they're each equals who are made in the image of God, and no person is willing to see another person have less than they have. They're they're going out of their way to do anything that they can to make sure that everyone who is a follower of Jesus is taken care of. So there's no envy, there's no power grabs. People are simply living in a way that's best lived to grow the church and to love others. And, And That's what we're seeing repeated. That's an important factor that sets the trajectory of how the early church moves forward. But then we've got the apostles, the leaders in the church, and we underline that they kept giving their testimony. You know, we have to remember that the church is more than just a social service. See, we will always do everything that we can to love people as well as we can love them. But at the end of the day, the amount of love that we give somebody isn't necessarily going to have long-term life change. What brings long-term life change is Jesus. I can do everything I want. I can do all the work that I want. I can put all the effort in that I want. But if there's no Jesus at the end of the day, there's not going to be real, lasting life impact. And so the apostles never lost sight of that goal. The apostles continued that in everything that they did, they were telling people about the resurrection of Jesus, that this man who came and preached, he is the Son of God. He does offer salvation. He does offer life change, and he is making all things right again. They were living in the present for a future realization, and they were consistent in that. And then we see that it said that there was not a needy person among them, Again, uh, the rest of the church was actively involved in living in a manner that would be described as being the hands and feet of Jesus. The apostles were continuing to teach about who this Jesus was while the church lived out the life that he would have lived. And remember uh, that Jesus gave his apostles the instructions in John chapter 13. He said to love one another, and it's by this everyone will know that you're my followers. 
You love each other the way that I have loved you, the way that Jesus had just loved them through, through acts of service and humbling himself and, and making sure that they didn't have less than he had. And by this, everyone will know that you're my followers. So this is what we, we really see the church pressing into these teachings of Jesus. Uh, the church is full of generosity. It's fueled by people going out of their way to make sure that there's no one worse off than themselves. Uh, and this is how we live out the command of Jesus to love one another. And then the last thing that we saw is that they laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the heart of generosity. And you'll see as, as the years go by, if you stick around and keep reading through the Bible, you're going to find that generosity is a core theme in the Bible. That God begins the story as being this generous God who is giving and calling his people to be generous as he is generous. So we see that heart of generosity. And what we see is that there's what's called this ownership versus manager mentality. And so what I mean by that is that many of us see ourselves as the owners of our lives, owners of the things that we have, when in reality, we should see ourselves as managers. All these things, at the end of the day, they all belong to God. He owns them. We're just managing these things for him. We're, we're trying to be good stewards for him. And so when you lay something at someone's feet, you're surrendering it. You're, you're, you're letting go, you're turning over possession and ownership, and you're saying, whatever happens with this from here on out, it's yours. You make the decisions. And so they're taking the things that belong to them, and they're shifting from ownership to manager mentality and handing them back over to God and saying, you use these things as you would want to use them. Those who were living generously were emptying their possessions and completely turning over the ownership. And once it's turned over to the apostles, they recognize, give no thought to it because it's not yours anymore to manage. You know, there's times that we, we give things to people and, you know, we see people who are in need and we give them something and, and it's, hey, I'm going to watch and make sure that they use this right and that they're, you know, that they actually spend this on what I wanted them to spend it on. And that's not what, what these people were thinking in their generosity. I'm giving this over and just use it in whatever way can advance the kingdom of God the best. Uh, and they were trusting that that was going to happen. So then we get to this and we come to this crazy passage in Acts chapter 5. And uh, I, I'll just tell you up front, it's going to be weird, uh, but just hang on. I'll do my best to, to explain it to you. So Acts chapter 5, verse uh, 1 is where we're going to start. And so it says, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, just like everybody else was doing. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, I recognize that at face value, this doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Uh, it, it probably seems a little deceptive, a little shady, but not inherently evil or anything like that. The problem that we have to recognize when we start looking at this is we have to shift things from the actions that are happening and start thinking about and recognizing what's going on in the hearts of the individuals. Because this isn't just an action issue, this is a heart problem that this is going to deal with. 
And I mean, you look, and right at the beginning of this, it says that he and his wife both knew what was going on. This was, this was planned out beforehand. It wasn't just something spur of the moment. It, you know what? I'm just going to give this little bit and we'll keep this. No, they, they sat down, they talked about this, and they said, listen, we can keep this portion here. Nobody's going to know that we kept it. We'll give the rest. Everybody else is going to think that we're being just as generous. Everything will be great. And so this was, this was planned out beforehand. And uh, so remember how just a moment ago, we read about a man named Joseph right at the end of uh, chapter 4. There was this man named Joseph, and it said, and he had lands and possessions, he sold them all, and he laid all of the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. And so now we're reading something, and it looks really similar, right? Uh, But at the same time, there are some pretty extreme differences between these two stories. When Joseph laid his possessions at the feet of the apostles, he was letting go. It's not mine anymore. Use this for the kingdom of God. When Ananias did it, he was never really letting go. There was a clenched fist in the back that was staying that way and and still holding on. And, And those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, we probably realize that we've all had those times in our life where we're, we're, you know what, God, I'm gonna let go, and you got this clenched fist back here that's still holding on. And so what happens? Usually, things are pretty miserable until you eventually decide, okay, I'll actually let go of this all the way. And, and, you know, it may very well have been that with Ananias and Sapphira, looking back at at what happened with Joseph before, that they saw these people who were stepping up, who were selling everything, being generous, and they saw the respect that people had for them. They they saw uh, the honor that people were giving to those who were willing to, to do something of, of such a just courageous effort of generosity. And I thought, you know, that sounds kind of nice. We could do that. And then sometimes we, we start heading down the right path, and along the way we get some other thoughts and distractions, and, and it gets hard to actually start letting go of things. The problem is that in Christianity, there's no room for power grabs. Remember, all of these people were seeing themselves as equals. They were all working together. Uh, It said that everyone was this way. Not the majority. Everyone was working for the common good of each other. And for the first time in this new launch of the church, we see someone start living for self instead. You know, we have to realize in Christianity, all of the power all of the respect, all of the honor, all of the authority, all of it belongs to King Jesus. And that's why it's so important for us to lay everything down at his feet and stop pretending like we're the owners of it when it really has always belonged to him. And just declare him as king and let him run with these things because he can do far more with these things than we ever thought we could. And so then we move forward to Acts chapter 3 or chapter 5, verse 3. And it says, But Peter, the apostle of Jesus, he said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And so this is interesting because uh, if you didn't know, the New Testament was written in Greek. And uh, the Greek for this word, this phrase, keep back, 
uh, when it says that he kept back the proceeds for himself. It's only used in one other place. And both times this word is exclusively used with the idea of theft. It's got this negative connotation. It's not, you know, I'm going to divide some of this for you, some of this for me, I'll keep this, and, and we both have enough. It's this idea that somebody needed more and you, had, you took that from them. Uh, and so this really has to, it gives us this heavy idea. It starts to add some weight to what is going on in this weird story. But it's so important for us to have the perspective of, of money and things and our lives and whatever it might be. At the end of the day, these things don't belong to us. We're managers, not owners. And there's a big difference in that. I, I've worked in management. And at the end of the day, when all the money was put in the registers and everything else, how much of it do you think I took home? None of it. And if I did, I wouldn't have been working there anymore, right? Because I was a manager, not an owner. I, I recognized that even though I was the one sitting there collecting money, uh, selling things and taking things and, and all that all day long, at the end of the day, this doesn't belong to me. I'm just trying to be a good steward with it. And as I ordered things for the company, I realized this isn't mine. I'm just manager mentality and all of this. And so this right here, this story is a love of money issue. And James uh, specifically warned us later in the New Testament that the love of money is the root of all evil. And be clear on that because a lot of people uh, take that and they say that money is the root of all evil. It's not. Money is a good gift from God. But the love of money is the root of all evil. Because when you love money, it drives you to hurt people, to take advantage of people, to sacrifice your relationships with, with God and other people or whatever it takes to get more because you're looking to something to fulfill you that cannot and will not ever fulfill you. And so uh, essentially the actions of Ananias spoke to the complete giving over of these possessions of God. But behind the scenes, the actions of Ananias weren't actually giving everything over to God. His behind-the-scenes actions told a different story. And that's why Peter uses this, this language to say, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? You, you think you're not giving this to the people in the church. This is for the mission and the work of God, and you're keeping this back. Who do you think you're fooling? Who do you think you're lying to? And then this story takes a crazy turn where Peter, uh, he completes this confrontation to Ananias and then all of a sudden Ananias falls down dead. And then later in the story, his wife comes in and Peter gives her a shot. She, she's going to come in and she, we read in the beginning, she knew what was going on. She's got her chance to be honest and forthcoming with everything and uh, she, she doesn't realize what's happened with Ananias, so she comes in, she tells the same lie, Peter confronts her, and the same result happens to her, and she falls down uh, dead as well. And then it says that the whole church was covered in fear. I mean, this is the first time they'd seen anything like this. This is the first time they'd seen rebellion inside the church. And so let me make something clear here. The story isn't about money. It isn't about possessions. This isn't really about anything material. This is about 
our relationship with God. This is about how we interact with God. This is about how we see ourselves and God in relationship to each other. Do you see God as a, as a stepping stone to get to what you want, as a crutch to get to the things that you need? Or do you see him as the king that he is and follow him that way? That's what this story is all about. And these are two individuals who boldface lied to the Holy Spirit. And God is working to purify his church as he's sending her into the world to redeem it. Because he realizes that if there's corruption in the church and the church is going out into the whole world, what's going to happen? Corruption's going to start leaking out everywhere. And I mean, this is, we see this, right? What do so many people outside of the church think about Christians? We're all hypocrites and we, we don't actually seem to really care about this God that we follow and we're just as bad, if not worse, than everybody else. And this is, it, it's tainted the image of the church and what we should be. We go back again, and what did Jesus say? By your love for one another, everyone will know that you're my followers. That's what was missing in this story. And, and I understand. This still, you look at the story, and it still seems really harsh. It still gives you this, this weird concept of God and how he interacts with his people. But there are a couple things here that we have to understand. And uh, so, Let me try and unpack these for us. One is that these people stole from God. These possessions were God's to begin with. They were good gifts from a good God, but at the end of the day, were managers, not owners. And Ananias and Sapphira were clearly willing to steal from God and then lie to them. And and it's This is actually remarkably similar to one of the first stories that we see in the Bible all the way back in Genesis where sin happened all in the first place, where God told Adam and Eve that that if they ate of the tree of knowledge and good and bad, he said, you will surely die. That's the consequence. But then Eve saw the tree and she saw that it looked good and it looked good to eat. And so what did she do? She ate of the tree. She took it. She lied to God by, by saying, no, 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 this is it's, it's not about me, God. It's okay. It was that serpent, you know. And then Adam ate of it too. And what did he do? He saw that it was good while his wife was eating it. So he took it. He ate it. And then God confronted him. And then what did he, no, 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 God, I see it wasn't actually me. It was that, that wife you gave me. She's the problem, right? And so there's all this going on, and, and that's what caused this whole mess. And, and how similar does this look? Ananias and Sapphira, they received the uh, possessions from the property that they sold, and they saw that it was good. It looked good. And so they took it. And then when God confronted them about it, they lied to him. And so let's go back again. What was the consequence in the garden? If you eat of this tree, you'll surely What? And so we we see actually a theme of consistency with God. We we often have a tendency to put God in this bubble of just love. And and to some degree, rightly so, God is love. 1 John 4, 8 tells us flat out, God is love. Not he is loving, he is love. But we put him in this bubble that is just love and fluffy and warm stuff that makes us feel good and gives us all the warm fuzzies. And, And uh, it just, it's all about us feeling good. But we have to remember that God is love, but he is also just. 
He is a judge, and that means that he will bring justice. And that's good news because we see a lot of injustice in our world, don't we? And so we know that there is a judge who is bringing justice, who will make all things right because he's love, because he's so passionate about us. Justice and love cannot exist without each other. And there's consequences for our actions. And ultimately, it's the just and perfect God who gets to decide what is right and wrong and gets to decide the consequences for those right and wrong. I mean, it's kind of like this. I mean, if, if my kid punches her brother, she's going to get in trouble, right? There's going to be consequences. Now, if my kid comes over and punches my wife, there are going to be consequences. Are they going to be the same consequences? No, right? If my kid comes over and punches me, and I'm the one getting angry about it, still conse- are they the same consequences? No. Now my kid grows up. She's 18. She gets pulled over, and the officer comes to the car, and she rolls down the window, and she punches the officer. There's going to be consequences. Are they the same consequences? You see where I'm going with this? My kid goes into the military, and there's a general, and she punches the general. There's consequences. Are they the same consequences? I mean, you keep climbing up that ladder, and you see what's happening, right? So then we've got this good, perfect, just God. And what are the consequences? This is how all of this works together. When when we sin against this perfect God, we've got to understand the weight of what we're doing, which in turn shows us the weight of the forgiveness that he offers to us. So I was was listening to uh, a guy recently talking about a story. He had taken his uh, son to Chuck E. Cheese, and so, you know, you get the tokens and everything at Chuck E. Cheese. And so what he would do is he would always, when he went to Chuck E. Cheese, he'd take his three kids and they'd get the tokens and he would get this cup of tokens and he'd take them and he'd pour them all into his pockets because he doesn't trust the cup, right? He might set the cup down and leave the cup somewhere. He might hand the cup to his kids and who knows what happens at that point. He might drop the cup and spill the tokens under all the games and then they're gone. And so he doesn't trust the cup. He takes the tokens, he pours them in his hand, dumps all the tokens in his pocket and that's where the tokens stay, right? And then when the kids wanna play a game, he just reaches in his pocket, pulls out a token, drops it in the game, they play the game. Well, this dad has now taken just his son to Chuck E. Cheese. And so when they go and get the tokens, you know, you're, you're growing up, you're getting older, young enough still, you're going to Chuck E. Cheese, but you're growing up. And so now they get two cups. Dad gets a cup of tokens and his son gets a cup of tokens. And so he hands his son uh, the cup of tokens. He's responsible for it. They can go play whatever they want, but those are his tokens. And they start playing all the games in Chuck E. Cheese. They play the first game. They play the second game. They play a third game. And and I mean, they're just boom, boom, boom. They're running through all the games. They're having a good time. They're having fun. And and after a minute, Dad goes, hey, what about this game over here? No, Dad. Okay, well, well, what about this, this game? We can play this one. No, I don't think so, Dad. Okay, okay, well, what about this one's like, we go on a pirate ship and we get to shoot things and everything, like, that should be fun, we can play this game. No. All right, well, hey, this one over here, this is aliens, we get to blow up these aliens, we got guns and everything, we just shoot them up and all that, I mean, because this is what boys are crazy about, and, and his son's still. No, I don't, I don't want to play that one either, Dad. 
So finally, he pulls his son over, and they go, and they sit on a bench together. He's like, hey, what, what's going on? Are you okay? He nods his head, and his dad's like, well, what's going on? I mean, you wanted to come here and play the games, right? He says, yeah. He's like, why aren't you playing the games? And his son takes his cup of tokens, and he says, dad, I just I want to keep these. You want to, you want to keep them? No, that, that's, that's not how this works. And so he's, he's looking at his son, staring at these, and, and he's like, oh, okay, okay, so here, here's how this works. So these tokens, you take these tokens, and they, they just, they only work here. They don't, once we leave, they don't work. And, and his son's like, yeah, but dad, they're gold. So he's like, no, they're not. And he goes to, and he's like, no, 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 don't, that's a Chuck E. Cheese token, dude. Don't put that in your mouth. And so he, he's like, no, listen, listen. You see this token? It has a rat's face on it, okay? And, and listen, when you leave the rat's house, it's not good anymore. It has no value anymore. You can't use it for anything. The, rat, the token with the rat on it only works in the rat's house. And so listen, listen, son. This is, when, when we go and we play these games, this is how it works. You take the token, you drop it in the game, you, you play the game, you win the prize, and then you get to take the prize home. You understand? The tokens aren't good when we leave the rat's house, but the prize you can take home. So what do you want to do? I, think I want to keep the tokens, Dad. <laughs> and that's when you stop getting your kids the tokens, right? But, but see, this is the whole reason that we're here. This is the whole reason that we exist. And, and so let me explain something very clearly to you right here. You can take it with you. You can take it with you as long as you understand what it is. And the only thing in this life that you will ever touch that's eternal, the only prize that you can leave the rat's house with are people and the mission of God. Those are the only things that you'll ever touch that's eternal. Everything else in this life stays in the rat's house. We can't take it with us. And Ananias and Sapphira were so invested in themselves that they had forgotten about the people and the mission of God. Their own comfort trumped the well-being of other people who were made in the image of God. That's the weight of this story. I mean, listen, look at this from God's perspective for a second. If you had a child and that child was hurting, that child was in need, your child was in pain, and someone had the necessary means to provide for your child and pull him out of everything that he was experiencing. And that person walked over, reached in their pocket, said, here's a penny, kid. Good luck. Are you going to be glad your kid got that penny? No. You, you had the means to save my kid from everything that they're experiencing right now? And you chose to just give up a penny? What? I mean, where, where, where is that line drawn in, in that my comfort, my possessions, everything that I've, the empire that I've built for myself trumps the value and the sanctity of human life? 
That's the weight of this story with Ananias and Sapphira. There were people in need, people who God is passionate about, people who God loves, people he was willing to die for, and Ananias and Sapphira just couldn't let go of their own empire. Not realizing that at the end of the day, they can't take it with them. It's going to stay in the rat's house anyway. And so what does all of this mean for us? This means that each one of us needs to make, take an honest, hard look at our lives. And listen, we all know that we can get better in some areas, right? Okay. We, we know that there are areas that we can improve. And, and we're always trying to get better, to do more, to be better. But what areas actually matter? That's where we need to ask this question. What are the areas of your life that you're still prioritizing, even if it means that someone less fortunate than you has to go through whatever they're going through? Because you just can't let go of that thing. And this is why I say this story isn't about just about money. It's not just about possessions. What is that empire that you're building for yourself that's more important than the sanctity of human life, than the people who God was willing to exit heaven and come and die in the place of those people. And listen, if, if you're honest, there's probably an area of your life that God is speaking to you about right now. And, and you're probably trying to justify yourself. And let me just say, don't get caught lying to God. And if you do, do it over there so the lightning bolt doesn't miss and hit me. And uh, we'll be all right. But but we do this, right? We justify, no, 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 no. You don't understand my situation. Seth. I don't even know what your situation is. I'm not trying to guess your situation. This is the Holy Spirit talking to you, not me. So work this out with him. What is that area of your life? What is your empire that you're not willing to let go of? And again, it brings us all the way back again to John 13. Jesus said that our love for one another would be the way that the whole world would know that we belong to him. That was the problem with Ananias and Sapphira. And, and I don't want to freak any of you out. Uh, I, I want you to understand that when it comes to church, right, uh, that if you're new here, that you're allowed to belong before you believe, okay? Uh, if you're just checking this whole thing out and, uh, and this... I'm not telling you through this whole thing that you have to sell everything and give it to the church. We don't want you to, okay? I want to make that perfectly clear. That's not what we're looking for. And, and this God who we serve isn't some angry, uh, vindictive, uh, wrathful God, but he is just. And justice requires consequences. And for those of us who have taken the next step of saying, I am a follower of Jesus, that, that I ascribe everything in my life to King Jesus, we're held to a different standard. So for you and me who call ourselves Christians, this is what we're called to. We're called to living in a way that's humble, that's willing to serve others before ourselves. And this puts us in a tremendous position to be able to be generous because we realize that God, over and over through the Bible, he tells us, stop worrying so much about everything. If I'm taking care of lilies and sparrows and everything else, don't you realize you're more valuable than that? 
don't you think that I would take more care of you than that? Listen, if my daughter, if I give her an allowance, she gets $5 and she goes and spends it, should she fear of not getting to eat next week? No. Dad's going to take care of her. Dad's got her. I'm not going to punish her for being generous. As we take and we live these generous lives to love others around us, God is still in your corner. God still loves you. He's still passionate about you. He's still working to hold your life together for you. And so don't get me wrong. This story is not about what God will do to you if you do something wrong. The Bible is not all about how God will punish you for what you do. And listen, there are consequences. The Bible shows us clearly that there are consequences. But the Bible is about some messed up people who keep making mistakes and keep getting pursued by that God who came and gave everything for us, who stepped out of heaven, stepped onto that cross, was brutally murdered and crucified in the peak of generosity, who rose again from that grave three days later and then freely offers that salvation to us. John 3.16, Jesus, uh, he tells Nicodemus that if he were to believe in the Son of God, he'll have everlasting life. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You can't anyway. Free gift. This theme of generosity that God pulls us through all the way through. And then he calls us as his people to live these generous lives to make maximum kingdom impact. And so God, we come to you this morning thankful for who you are. We're thankful for the way you work in our lives. Uh, and we're, we're thankful for these stories of the early church that show us uh, that show us that these people weren't perfect people out on mission, that show us that these weren't uh, super-powered humans who were going out and, and changing the world in ways that we could never imagine, but they were broken, messed-up people, most of which just had an affinity towards you, most of which were just consumed with a love for you and a passion for doing your work. And so, God, as, as we are in a room of broken and messed-up people, we ask that that would be us, that we would, even in our brokenness, that we would have an affinity for you, a love for you that would drive us to mission, to loving our community around us, to sharing your good news and seeing real radical life change in Porterville. God, we ask all these things in your name and we love you and we praise you and it's in Jesus' name, amen.